Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 201. And in this episode, we're talking about fish sauce. Okay, I know what you're thinking. How are you going to turn a whole episode about fish sauce into something interesting? I promise you, it is. Like a lot of food that we look at on this podcast, there's a historical component a cultural component, social, political. Fish sauce also is just really freaking delicious. For the uninitiated, it is a fermented sauce from anchovies. And it can be used as a condiment, but also as a key ingredient in the flavoring and cooking process. Probably my first introduction to it was as like a side here in America for like summer rolls or spring rolls. But the first real authentic fish sauce that I had was in Hanoi. And it was a burning hot day, exhausted from from walking around all day, hanging out with my two friends. And at the end of the day, we got a bunch of beers, a bunch of Hanoi beers, and we had bun cha. It's essentially a meatball, and you get rice vermicelli with it, and lettuce, some pickled vegetables, and you roll it all together into this monstrous, wonderful thing, and you dunk it in the fish sauce. And from there, I was hooked. So now I put it in rice every time I have rice, but I really put it on everything. So if you think that ketchup is the king of condiments, or I don't know, what do people, ranch, blue cheese, for me, it's fish sauce. And so my guest is Danny Tran of Sun Fish Sauce. And they have a long history of doing what so many craftsmen do that I love, of doing it the authentic way, not cutting any corners, the old school way. So this was a a privilege to get to talk to Danny and to share his story and something that I found just immensely interesting and satisfying. So go to the show notes for this episode. You'll find a link to the Sunfish Sauce website and the Instagram account. And you'll also find a link for my Patreon account. All right, folks, enjoy this conversation with Danny Tran. A lot of the communities, you know, people have lost their jobs. And so it's kind of crazy. But so I live in Orange County, which is kind of the epicenter of Vietnamese refugees. We're, we're pretty much the biggest population outside of Vietnam. Um, so Orange County is a little bit south of L.A. And we're kind of like one of the original little Saigon, right? The epicenters, Westminster, California. And, 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 and so, you know, obviously um, a lot of Vietnamese people work in the beauty industry, nail shops, salon and whatnot, and they all got shut down overnight. And so what they started doing was cook their version of Vietnamese food that is specific to their region, right? 
And this Facebook group, it grew from a couple hundred people to like 30, 40,000 large. And now people are selling food, you know, at, you know, outside of their, in their homes, people would come pick it up. I mean, I, I mean, very similar to when you were in Vietnam, you would see restaurants be downstairs and people live upstairs, right? And the cool thing with this happening is that uh, most of the Vietnamese food that we eat in America is kind of like pre-75 food. So meaning food from refugees from the 75, 75, right? 1975, the war and whatnot. But obviously over time, any cuisine, any food, um, you know, um, uh, changes, right? And, 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 and so, or certain regions in Vietnam would become more popular. And, and, and so it's cool to see that now in Vietnamese communities, you can get pho from maybe the northern side and not just the southern, southern side. Or you can get, you know, uh, bumbo wei, which is spicy noodle soup, but you're getting it authentic from somebody from Hue, which is middle of Vietnam, versus because most of the food, Vietnamese food that you would eat today or we know today is mainly from Saigon. Um, very similar to most of the Thai food we all know is all from Southern Thai. We, we barely know a lot about Northern Thai, right? Um, until, um, until recently. So, so, so COVID has definitely, um, uh, you know, in terms of food have made it more interesting, I guess. Um, I mean, now people are like serving street food from Saigon that you could only eat it if you were to travel there. But now, you know, they're, they're, they're all out there hustling, trying to um, make some side cash. So um, uh, definitely the, the, the food has gotten uh, a lot more diverse for um, the Vietnamese communities during COVID. The, the pho that most people would get in the States is much more similar to pho in the South, right? Like it's a little bit sweeter. You have all the herbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's also because most uh, majority of the Southerners were the refugees. Right. And even if you did have the Northerners, they're what you call Bak which is North 54, which means during 1954, you know, when Northern Vietnam became communist, a lot of the Northerners fled to Saigon. And so they're kind of called North Northern 54 people. And then all the people that fled during the after the war, you know, they're they're called um, seventy five, right? <clears throat> so yeah, it's um, most of them. It's very similar to Italian food, you know. Um, most of American Italian food that we eat came from, I believe, like a cookbook from a refugee guy from Sicily or something like that. And so everybody started making using that cookbook, and then and so. That's why when you go to Italy, you're, you're eating completely different. <laughs> not not completely different, but I, I wouldn't say day and night, but pretty close to it, right? Yeah. With uh, stuff. And so, um, and so, yeah, during COVID, a lot of the communities, you know, um, kind of like in major cities where you can get really good tamales from the lady down the street, right, for you guys in New York, or really good um, Caribbean food, you know, from the lady next door, you know, she's just pumping it out of her kitchen, selling it through the window. I, I saw a couple of videos on that. I think it's pretty cool. You know, people are just doing whatever it takes to survive, man. Yeah, in the in the early days of the pandemic, there were these two grandmothers from, I think they might have been in Elmhurst in Queens, and they, they called uh-huh. themselves Omas. 
and uh-huh. they were selling Indonesian food. And it was like some stuff that to me maybe seems very simple. There's something called uh, tempeh, tempeh orak, which is, it's just uh-huh. like tempeh with like garlic and chilies and soy sauce. It's not super complicated, but I haven't uh-huh. had it like I had it in Jakarta. And these two ladies like just cooking out of their kitchen in their apartment and, you know, for pickup, yeah. transported me back to Jakarta. It was amazing. Yeah, definitely. I I, I, I think, um, you know, a lot of uh, businesses that are, uh, a lot of people that are cooking at home, they're, they're literally cooking you their home food meal, right? They're literally cooking you what's, what was in their village or their town or their mm. city. Versus if you were to walk into a more mainstream Indonesian food, it'll probably be more, more, you know, watered down a little bit for mainstream consumption. And that's the same thing with a lot of Vietnamese restaurants. Um, but I do see that, you know, New York is definitely stepping up their game. I mean, you guys have a lot of amazing Vietnamese restaurants from young, young, young uh, second generation Vietnamese chefs that are, you know, I would say a lot of their food is more authentic than, you know, some of the Vietnamese food you find in little Saigon areas around the U.S., which is great. And I think that maybe pop culture helps a little bit, too, with helping to familiarize people with this stuff. I mean, I was yeah. a I was a massive Bourdain fan, but I think some textures that like, you know, everyday Americans might have traditionally found difficult or would have been like hesitant to try through popularizing a lot of this stuff in cooking shows and stuff, it's made people much more likely to try it, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, we have to give big thanks to Anthony Bourdain and uh, also Andrew Zimmerman. Um, but I think Anthony Bourdain definitely put um, Vietnamese food more on a mainstream culture, yeah. right, in, in America. And uh, we, we know he really loved Vietnam. I mean, one of his episodes, he said that he was going to retire in Vietnam, you know, living on rice patties. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Um, and, yeah, you know, the lunch lady that he put on the spotlight, she ended up being able to franchise out her business, one in Hong Kong and one in Vancouver. Wow. Yeah, so she's actually gone international, and she's in, you know, um, two different continents now. <laughs> Is that the, the lunch lady? Yeah, 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 the lunch lady. Oh, wow. So, so, so people saw that episode, and um, I think some, um, some Vietnamese and Hong Kong restaurateurs you know, hit her up and um, they opened one in Hong Kong. It's called Go Tan, which is her name. Her name is Tan. Go is auntie, right? And then um, in Vancouver, they straight up named it the lunch lady. And um, I think Hong Kong did it first with her. And then Vancouver is actually a partnership, I believe. Don't quote oh. me on that. But, um, but it's pretty cool to see, you know, that, um, you know, what Bourdain did for... Um, Vietnamese food, uh, pretty much all the spots that he hit up, you know, um, they're, 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 you know, they're packed lines out through the door. And I think it, it, it's become a must stop destination for, for all travelers, Vietnamese Americans, you know, Americans, Westerners, you know, just, just backpackers, just everybody. So it's pretty cool to, um, you know, what he's done for our food culture. Uh, for sure. So let me, let me ask about your family then. Um, this is round two of recording here, but uh, 
what I was asking at the outset was about your your wife's great grandfather and where the story of the the family's fish sauce begins. Yeah, the story is actually pretty crazy. Um, first time I heard it, I was blown away. It, it, it's somewhat of a um, an Asian modern day Cinderella story. So my wife's great grandfather was an orphan, and he would travel from city to village, you know, anywhere he could find job uh, work. And then he landed on this small island down in the Gulf of Thailand, but it's still part of Vietnam. So it's next to Phu Wuk, so it's southeast Vietnam, right? And um, and he worked for the um, a family on the island, and it just so happened that family was, you know, uh, the most wealthy on the island. Usually back in the day, you know, the most wealthy family would employ everybody, right, in the village or on the island. And... Um, and he fell in love with the daughter that became, you know, our great grandmother. They got married and um, and then, you know, the house that they were living on in front of it had a big jackfruit tree. And so, you know, he got the idea to start making fish sauce as a way to making more money instead of just fishing for the family. And so that's, you know, he cut down the, the jackfruit tree, made the first barrow. And uh, that's kind of how it all started. And, you know, by the time he retired and he finished, he pretty much was called, you know, Lord of the Island in Vietnamese because, you know, he, he ended up growing the business so well and um, owning most of the land on the island. And, um, and, what's, um, and, and one thing that's crazy, he never learned how to read and write, but he could, um, he, he was very quick with uh, math. So, you know, like those old school Chinese uh, board where you can, uh, they calculate stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or he goes, he can do it faster in his head than, you know, you can do it with your hand. You know, figuring out, <laughs> you know, how many tons of fish or how many barrels of fish sauce he would um, sell and whatnot. But yeah, so that's how the story started. And me and my wife, we're the fourth generation. We're actually the only grandkids that are doing, uh, that is doing fish sauce. Um, and the family tradition is everybody pretty much have their own brand. Uh, you know, we don't rest on our laurels and there's no handouts. And so we have to build the brand on our own. And, um, you know, I convinced my uh, wife to, um, I convinced my wife, my crazy idea of expanding, uh, you know, our fish sauce, the, the family fish sauce business international. And so Sun is, um, me and my wife's brand. And it means um, it's named after the family island, Sun Rai Island. And it also means father to son because, um, you know, her dad, her dad uh, gave me the blessing to um, to do it, uh, expand it internationally. And all the aunts and uncles and relatives and stuff like that, they all have their own brands that they sell locally in Vietnam. And it's mainly just in the southwest region, kind of like in Italy, where you would have, you know, uh, balsamic vinegar only being sold in Modena. And so our fish sauce is technically only being sold in Southeast, uh, Southwest Vietnam, not even nationally. So, um, so we're pretty proud of our product and, um, it's definitely, um, different than other fish sauce in Vietnam. And, you know, I'll, I'll get to as why and, and su- such. Yo, so I love jackfruit. And when I was, I was in, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in Indonesia 
and uh-huh. in Indonesia they call it nangka, and it's it's uh. it's like it's like it's it's almost like candy eating it. It's so good. I didn't know yeah. that the the barrels that the fish sauce ferments in that's made out of the jackfruit tree. Yeah, well, you know, it pretty much in Vietnam back in the day, the barrels are very small, and you use what's around you. And he just had a lot. Apparently, he had a lot of jackfruit trees in front of his house on the island. And so he cut it down and 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 he used it to make um, to make the barrels. Ah, that's really yeah. cool. So it was more necessity, you know, um, not not kind of like, oh, I'm going to pick this tree over yeah. the other one. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me about uh, the island itself? Because in in reading about your story a bit, it seems like the specific location of the island and the environment there and the specific type of anchovies there make your fish sauce different? Yeah, so basically, you know, in Vietnam, we have different regions that produce fish sauce, right? And so obviously certain regions will have an abundance of certain fish. Um, I, I think with any food product that stretches back, you know, hundreds of years or thousands of years, you will find that the best products are normally the ones that nobody wanted it to begin with, right? And and so the fish sauce that the fish that we use for our anch- um, our fish sauce is anchovies, but it's a certain type of anchovies where it's only about the size of my pinky. Uh, I'll send you the video later where we're salting it, but basically the flesh is translucent. It's so small that it's not like it's going around eating other fish. It's basically just eating plankton. But that actually is very important to good fish sauce making because it's 30% sea salt, 70% anchovy, and you ferment it for a year. And so on an island, it's very hot and humid. So when you're putting it in barrels, you're essentially cooking it. Think of it um, similar as walking into a smokehouse where they're smoking trout or salmon, right? There is a robust seafood smell, fish smell to it, but it's not stinky. And so that's why making fish sauce uh, in Vietnam, particularly Phu Wuc and our family island area, Southwest Vietnam, is more popular because it's more tropical than the rest of Vietnam. It's even closer to the equator. So it's hot and humid. So you're cooking this for a year. And, and obviously, when you're fermenting fish, the thing that goes bad first is the guts, yeah. right? <laughs> so in other areas of Vietnam, they would use bigger fish because that's all they have. But the thing with bigger fish is that it eats the little fish. And so the guts will ferment and, it, it, you know, you, you don't get that, uh, that uh, fragrant flavor of um, fish oil. And so, you know, it, it was just by fact that, you know, fish like this size, only poor people ate or not a lot of people consume it. So the price was very low back in the day. And so that's what they used to make fish sauce. And, um, you know, it just turns out that because these fishes are being used and they're basically vegetarian fishes, it, um, you know, the product comes out a lot uh, more fragrant and uh, robust and cleaner. So within the barrel, it's the fish and it's salt. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and then we put a, a cap on top and we put, um, you know, a piece of rock on top and we're just pressing it. Kind of like making Vietnamese coffee. You know, the cafe fiend? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fiend, when you pour, um, you know, what the first drip that comes down, that's the first press. 
what happens when you pour water in the second time? It becomes a second press, just less potent. Right. And then you keep going and going and going. And so, um, and so that's essentially how fish sauce is made. After the first round, we, we pour seawater in. And then the, the liquid that comes out, you know, obviously we filter for impurities like fish flesh or, or sea salt. But we, we don't go too much. Basically, whatever comes out, we bottle it. Could you leave it in for longer to get like a stronger flavor or would it eventually start to go bad? Yes and no, because um, the best way I can explain, let's say once you just smoke a salmon, right? It comes out very fragrant. Yeah. But what happens if you keep smoking it over and over and longer and longer? Um, it, it gets a little bit dry and darker, right? So what we do is after 12 months, we bottle it. However, we do have fish sauce that's 50, 60, 70 years old. And the longer it gets, it actually becomes more medicinal because what's fish sauce? Fish sauce is amino acid, you know, fermented into nitrogen. So, you know, it's just basically fish oil and sea salt. Sea salt will, um, anything over 20% salinity will actually kill 99.9% of bacteria naturally. That's why none of our ancestors, you know, have food poisoning or die from this stuff. You know, not just in Asia, but all over the world, right? Everybody was just salting it back then. <clears throat> but yeah, um, it, it, it actually just becomes more robust and darker and thicker, uh, very similar to balsamic vinegar that's made traditionally in Modena, right? They, they put it in a big barrel, they sort it in a smaller one, smaller one, smaller one. And, and, and so the ones that's like 50, 60, 70 years old, it's more for like, it, it, it actually becomes like mythical, like, oh, have a teaspoon of it. It's good for your health, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's actually true because if you think about it, a lot of divers in Vietnam will take, take a teaspoon of uh, fish sauce before they free dive to keep them warm. And the anchovy oil is literally, if you look at all the, uh, the fish oil pills that we take, that we pay, what, 50, 100 bucks per bottle. You look at the ingredients, the good one, the high quality ones are anchovy oil. Wow. Yeah, it's essentially the same thing. Man, I'm selling my, my bottles for what, five, six bucks? I'm, <laughs> I'm in the wrong industry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, obviously, fermentation goes back an incredibly long time because it was a way to keep things fresh way before yeah. you ever had electricity and refrigeration. Do you have any idea like how far back the, the making of fish sauce goes? You know, a lot of people say that it came from the Roman times, which is true. The Romans did have fish sauce. Huh. Okay. They, they, they discovered that when they, um, you know, the city of Pompeii, how it, how it blew up with the volcano of and stuff. And so, um, because of, I guess because of the volcano or something, the lava and stuff, it preserved a bunch of stuff. Uh, don't quote me on it. I'm not an archaeologist, but long story short, you know, they, they, they found, um, uh, clay jars with garum in it. They call it garum. I'm, I'm not sure if I pronounced it right. I think it's G-A-R-U-M. But basically it's, I believe it's sardines, um, salted. And they let it ferment, and then they would use the liquid for cooking. And I mean, to this day, Italians have their own fish sauce as well. But if you think about it, I would beg to differ that in Asia or just anywhere around the world, anybody salting fish in a jar, 
they're essentially making fish sauce because the liquid that comes out in the bottle or the jar is it, essentially fish fish oil, mm. right? And we all know back in the day, nobody got rid of anything. They consumed anything and everything. Um, and, and there's actually villages in China that goes back thousands of years that are still making fish sauce to this day. And, and I, I, I think it just so happened that fish sauce got more popular in Asia because we are predominantly Buddhist and, and so we eat fish more, right? Which makes sense. But in Spain, in Italy, you got fish sauce. Hell, man, you got shrimp paste too. You, you know that, you know what shrimp paste is, right? Of course I like do. That. Yeah, yeah. They, they have it in Italy. They have it in Spain too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And they actually use it in a lot of their cooking, but it, it's not a a a pronounced ingredient, right? It's just part of the ingredient. Or like even in England, you got Worcestershire sauce. And if you look at the ingredient, it has anchovy, anchovy uh, yeah. paste or oil in it, but it's pretty much anchovies fish sauce. <clears throat> and I would imagine that anchovies are incredibly abundant still. Like it's not difficult to get them. Yeah, everywhere around the world. I mean, Europeans are still eating it. Yeah, it's just in America, you know. Even the ninja, uh, what the the mutant ninja turtles don't even like it, much <laughs> less uh, us Americans. <laughs> yeah, I love the, um, I love having them dried and mm. like sprinkled over over rice with like a I don't know, people would understand like a stir fry or something like that. Like I said, tempeh orac, but like. With tempeh orac, you can get uh, anchovies just sprinkled on. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the the thing is that a lot of people don't realize MSG actually comes naturally occurring in other foods. If you look at naturally occurring MSG foods, you'll understand why certain cuisine are popular around the world. So obviously you got Japanese um, from what, dashi, right? The, the kelp and stuff. And the Japanese actually figure out the, the the chemical formula for MSG and they just synthesized it. That's all it was. And then you think of MSG, it's monosu, monosodium glutamine. That's just sugar and salt, right? The right the, the, the right amount of sugar and salt will get you salivating. Yeah. And, 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 and so you look at tomato paste, high in natural MSG, hence Italian food so popular around the world. If you look at um, cheese, high, also high in um, natural MSG, and that's why I think, you know, French food is so popular around the world. If you look at Vietnamese food, we got obviously fish sauce is high in MSG naturally, you know, due to the fermentation of fish. And then you also, you know, dry shrimp, dry squid, and you know, Asian food, you know, we, we throw all that dry stuff in, like you said, like in, in, as, as an ingredient, because it's an umami bomb, right? Might be a little stinky, but, you know, if, if you know, you mix it, 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 it's not meant to, you know, just consume it by itself. It's meant as an ingredient, but it really brings out all the other flavors of the, the other foods. Yeah, I can remember being a kid and not having, as most kids don't have like a whole lot of experience with with a variety of foods and, and having like Americanized Chinese food and seeing no MSG and hearing like MSG is bad for you, but then going to school yeah. and eating like a can of Pringles, which also has MSG in it if you look at the ingredients. Yeah, you, you know, um, I think with anything um – I mean, on our label, we put no MSG added, meaning we don't dump more into it. I, I think with anything, it's all about excess and balance. 
I mean, if, if you're going to down like, um, you know, a couple spoonful of salt or sugar, it's not going to come down too well. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, that's all I think it is. Um, it, it's just excess and people have a choice to use natural MSG or they can use synthetic MSG. So that's what I think about it. Um, yeah, I was going to say with your product, salt really matters. Um, how do you, where's the, where does the salt come from? And I'm also curious about maybe some of like the shortcuts that a lot of other folks might be taking when they're making fish sauce. Okay, so first, first off, the sea salt we use are just local sea salt. And it all has to do with just, you know, like back in the day. You're not going to buy sea salt from Hanoi or, or you know, Nyajang because it's so far from the island, so it's expensive. You know, you just buy your local sea salt that is made on the island or nearby. And, and, and so what's also good about that is that it's also coming from the same seawater. That's actually very important for us because the, the, the anchovy swimming in the ocean versus the seawater and the sea salt we use, it has to be from the same area because obviously the pH level and all that stuff is the same, right? And so that's how we make our fish sauce. Again, it's 70% anchovy, 30% sea salt. We mix it up and then we kind of, you know, let nature do its work. Um, and then nine, I would say 99% of the fish sauce on the market or available is actually not even real fish sauce. It's fake fish sauce. The, West, the best way I can explain is, is kind of like it's a Parmesan that the, 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 and any pizza shop would give you in a packet versus, you know, like a, a nice big wheel of, um, what is it, Parmesan Reggiano, right? Yeah. Reggiano <laughs> from Italy. Day and night, completely different product. And, and so most of the commercial fish sauce out there has given our industry a very bad um, reputation. Everybody says fish sauce stinks. Fish sauce smells. And the reason why is that all the commercial brands out there actually don't even use fish or sea salt. They use anchovy extract. If you look at the label, it all says anchovy extract. Uh. And we all know what extract is, right? <laughs> you know, for the folks out there, how you make an extract is, well, at least in the fish sauce industry, when you're looking at a bottle of fish sauce, uh, you know, some fish sauce, it takes us a year to produce. So when you're buying a bottle of fish sauce for a couple bucks, you know, I mean, on a business level, no one's going to ferment it for a year and go through all the hassle and sell it for a couple bucks. So how are they selling it and making money? They're basically buying dead fish, obviously have no more value at the market. They dry it, they powderize it. And then that's the anchovy extract. Mm. Once they mix it with water, sugar, um, you know, chemical MSG. And they just basically shake it all together and, and you got a little fish sauce. Uh, you got fish sauce shake, right? Um, I, I, I think it's very easy to compare uh, uh, quality natural fish sauce with commercial brands. First off is the color. The color should give you, should look like an amber red once you put it up in the sun. And then also secondly, it should be the smell. Are you getting like that with uh, the best way I can explain is like smoked salmon. When you walk into a smoker, you know, you, you just smell that, right? You smell the ocean and the sea. And then thirdly is that actually when you taste fish sauce, 
it might be a little bit salty at first, but once it comes down to your throat, it'll actually be more um, buttery from the fish oil. And that's the best way I can explain it. And then a lot of people also have this notion, oh, fish sauce is too salty. Well, it's made from anchovy <laughs> sea salt. You know, from the ocean, it's meant to be salty. Uh, the reason why people think natural fish sauce is salty is because they've been eating the commercial kind that's actually watered down and sugar added. We all know sugar is the number one addictive drug in the world, right? Number one addictive um, substance. So, you know, uh, most of the commercial brands is also sweeter and more watered down. And the problem is that once, you know, people that don't, out, that live outside of countries that produce fish sauce, uh, you know, even if they're Asian, they grew up eating those brands and thus that making it a, uh, a standard, which in my opinion is not correct. Um, there's a, a funny correlation to it is that um, I have a lot of relatives in Vietnam that love Burger King, okay? And they tell me, man, Burger King is so good. Is it popular in America? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, and, and I, I'm like, yeah, you know, like I would say top 10 burger spots in America, Burger King is probably number 11, you know, <laughs> that's yep. just the reality. But Burger King is very popular in Vietnam is because it, it's a basic burger. It's, you know, it's not too flavorful. It's just there. And, 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 and so I would say, if you have people from Indonesia or Vietnam going to California, eat it in and out or going to New York and having a Shake Shack, it might be too flavorful for them. You know, they might not like the, you know, the, 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 the special sauce or the spread or the grilled onions. You know what I mean? It's just, but to us, that's more of a authentic burger versus <laughs> Burger King. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting commercial brand versus natural bread. Yeah. That's a really interesting analogy. I mean, we there's a there's a whole sort of like socioeconomic study you can do into like these multinational food chains in places where like when I was in when I was in Saigon, I'm like, why are people eating at Pizza Hut? Like you have this amazing street food here, but I you know, people explain it to me. Thing is that I, you know, it's funny you brought up Pizza Hut. I, I actually think Pizza Hut and Domino's in Vietnam is better than over here. Uh. <laughs> but I think it's because it, it's kind of like this New Yorker thing where the water is a little bit dirtier, so the dough is better. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you too, you mentioned it, but I was going to ask about the color because whenever I go to a restaurant and you get some like fish sauce on the side, so it's not a bottle and you get it in the little yeah. plastic cup, it's always like a yeah. clear, clear orange. And then whenever I get it in a bottle, it's amber. And I'm like, wait, is it diluted? No. Well, here's the thing. A lot of the restaurants, you know, obviously we all know and feel for restaurant business, the margins are so low. And so majority of the restaurants, they use, you know, the cheapest fish sauce available, which in our industry, we call it salt water. There really isn't any fish in it. There's no fish oil in it. It's just pretty much salt and a fish extract mm. to get, get it there. And so, um, and, and so that's why it's that color. Now, real fish sauce is very similar to extra virgin olive oil, meaning it oxidizes real easy. 
Uh, we don't use any preservatives. So for my brand, we recommend once you open it, refrigerate it. I know it's kind of weird having uh. fish sauce, but at least it doesn't oxidize it for you. Um, but yeah, most, like I said, 99% of the fish sauce in the market in America is actually made in China and made in Thailand. It's because um, uh, Vietnam had a trade embargo with the U.S. up to 1991-92. And so, you know, as refugees, we were just happy to have any type of fish sauce back in the day, you know, to make our food. And, and so um, it became a staple, just kind of like, you know, sriracha became an Asian staple because he was the only guy out there hustling and making hot sauce for fuzz shops and Vietnamese people. Mm. So, um, you know, not to knock on any of those brands, but I think I think all the refugees and, and all my parents that came over back in the day, they were just happy to have it. But now, you know, trade is opening up and obviously we live in a global economy. Uh, you know, I, I feel very grateful that I'm able to showcase a authentic Vietnamese product that you know, has won gold medals and, and, you know, it's made from quality and artisanal traditional way, you know, to show people that, Hey, you know, Vietnamese, you know, we're, we got more than pho and ao yai, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was gonna, you might've just answered this question, but I was going to ask you, what is your motivation? Because you could also cut those corners and probably make more money doing so. Uh, but you know, what is it that, that, makes you happy at the end of the day about your company? Yeah, you know, a lot of people have asked me that question and I uh, let me share with you my, my three um, objectives for doing this. The first objective was that when I heard about this, so how, okay, so let me go back to how we started Sunfish Sauce to begin with and how I got into the food and beverage industry. So I moved back to Vietnam in 2010 and I met my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife. Um, pretty typical, you know, expat story from Asia, right? And, um, and when I was living there, I, I used to be in the banking industry and living in Saigon, um, the jobs that were offered to me, you know, I couldn't make ends meet with it. And so I was actually really craving for, you've ever heard of like bit Cajun, like boiling crab, crawfish, stuff like that. Yeah. They do that in like, uh, yeah. in Houston and in, um, in, uh, Louisiana, right? Yeah. And I was really craving for it and I couldn't find it anywhere in Saigon. And this light bulb goes off inside my head, kind of like, Hey, you know, Vietnamese people, they love Cajun and crawfish in America. And there's, there's only about 2 million of them in America. There's about 100 million Vietnamese in Vietnam. I think they'll like it. They just don't know it yet, right? <laughs> and, and so that's how I kind of dabbled and got into the food and beverage industry. Oh. Um, thought, how hard could it be? I'm just boiling seafood and making sauce and throwing it in the bag and shaking it up. So, you know, running a restaurant, trying to be a, you know, trying to, um, I wouldn't call myself a chef, but a wannabe chef, you know, and, and just getting things going after a year, you know, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't handle it. Like 12, 14 hour days, you know, like I didn't come from restaurant background or any experience. Um, but the, you know, we ended up being the first to do Vietnamese Cajun and bringing crawfish to Vietnam about 10 years ago. 
Uh, I opened it with a partner of mine. He's also an expat. He's a Vietnamese expat. And uh, they got like three locations now. So so it's it's going great. Um, and then one day, you know, just after the restaurant, we were just hanging out. And I was reading GQ magazine. And they asked all the top chefs in America what their secret ingredient was. You know, obviously, you, you guessed it. They all said fish sauce. From David David Chang, Michael White, um, Thomas Keller, you know, all the big names. I turned to my wife. I was like, hey, does your family make fish sauce? <laughs> like, yeah, so. <laughs> and so that's kind of how, um, you know, Sun Fish Sauce started. We um, we sold our, our, our part of the restaurant to my friend, which is doing a great job. Like I said, he's got like three three locations going on to a fourth one, him and his wife. Um, and then we moved back to America to launch Sunfish Sauce. So zero experience in the food game, zero experience in, in, in you know, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, all that stuff. Mm. And, um, and, and so we just kind of, And then we just kind of went from there. You know, we didn't know anything. And then we sold to supermarkets. Hell, we were the sample ladies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> giving out samples. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of how we started uh, Sunfish Sauce and how I ended down this rabbit hole, man. Yeah. It, it, I'm still curious about the the rationale for doing it the way you do it. Um, yeah. and, and really so when, caring when about the G authenticity. Yeah. When I read GQ magazine and then when I turned to my wife and then she explained to me how real fish sauce is made versus oh. commercial fish sauce, because obviously there's commercial fish sauce in Vietnam as well. Uh, the, 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 the first guy that, um, I don't want to name any names, but basically the first billionaire that makes fish sauce, his brand is not even fish sauce. I mean, it's not even considered fish sauce. It's called dipping, a dipping sauce, okay? But anyways, um, and, and so, you know, when she explained to me the difference between commercial fish sauce and the way her family makes it, and, and then she was telling me the story about her great-grandfather and then all the gold medals that they won in Vietnam, you know, at fish sauce, international fish sauce competitions and stuff like that. I was like, wow, you got a great story. And, and there's history, heritage, and culture behind what you're telling me. And I really feel that if, we're, if we have the ability to, we should share the story with the rest of the world because this is something Vietnamese people as, an, as a nation and as a culture can be proud of. And obviously, fish sauce is not a political thing. And so, you know, whether you got the old Vietnamese from pre-75 or you got the new Vietnamese that's growing up in Vietnam, you know, every, everybody uses fish sauce. And so I, I just wanted to do a business and have a product on the shelf where our people can be proud of. Because reality is most of the Vietnamese products that we use are from other countries um, because of the trade embargo. And, and for me... Um, you know, being proud of my heritage and I'm able to put, you know, a fish sauce bottle on the shelf. That's, you know, um, I always revert back to, you know, that brand FUBU for us, by us. Yeah. <laughs> that LL Cool J star. Yeah. You know, I, I just have the same sentiment. I mean, I, I, I grew up in the nineties. 
So, you know, that, that's, um, that's basically why I wanted to start Sunfish Sauce. That's amazing. I mean, it was a, a, a really horrible year for a lot of people, but it yeah. seems like for your company, it was a pretty successful year. Yes and no. You know, um, we lost 50% of our business overnight. In oh, March. my God. You know, because we work with a lot of, um, we, well, last uh, two years ago, I started what's called restaurant program. And the restaurant program was all about, hey, all the, all the Asian or Vietnamese restaurants or American uh, restaurants that's using Asian products, they're not getting any love from the manufacturers. They don't even know who the manufacturer is, the owner. They're not, they're not getting any help, any, you know, incentives for working with them or whatnot. And, and so we looked at it. And so because we understand how tough the restaurant business is, being the fact that we were in it, we started doing, um, we started the restaurant program where we're offering premium fish sauce at commercial pricing for restaurants. And so, you know, we expanded, we, we were very blessed to be able to work with Michelin restaurants, James Beard winners, Asia's top 50. Uh, we're in, um, I would say 99% of the Las Vegas casinos, hotels, resorts, and guess what? COVID happened. Boom. You know, everybody had to shut down and, you know, it's, you know, when they're shut down like that, it's not like you can go chase the invoice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even have the heart in me to text them. Hey, you know, can you make a partial payment or something, you know, but um, a lot of them, yeah, we lost a lot of um, 50% of our business overnight um, in 2020. And it just... It just so happened it also ended up being the best year that we've had internet um, outside of it um, the last five years. We're entering at, or we're in five continents. We're in 100 cities uh, internationally outside of Vietnam. And um, obviously being in supermarkets and retailers and e-commerce really helped. Uh, we got Amazon's Choice Award. Um, and, and, and so all those things really helped us. And, you know, COVID really showed us, hey, you know, we were just lucky to be on the right side of the fence. Mm. I, I, I wouldn't say we were prepared for it. I don't think anybody was prepared for this. And, 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 and so um, going back to the story that I was telling you about with the Vietnamese community cooking at home. And so when we saw that, we actually, um, this year we were able to donate, uh, we were able to donate $50,000 worth of fish sauce to communities, whether for free to the restaurants as donations or to, you know, people cooking at home, trying to, you know, make some extra bucks on the weekend. You know, because obviously, you know, all this inventory we had for all these restaurant groups, casinos and stuff like that. Usually uh, when you work with big boys like that, you need three, six months, a year of inventory just so you never run out. But, you know, overnight, no one's using it. So we figure we can do something positive from it. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what happened. And then we actually pledge 1,975 cases of fish sauce to these charity programs. Because, you know, we wanted to make something positive from 1975 rather than every year doom and gloom kind of, oh, we lost the country and stuff, stuff like that. So, so, yeah, this year has been crazy. Uh, to say the least, but we, um, 
you know, me and my wife, we're still healthy. So like people say, man, health is wealth. So <laughs> I think there's an eventual opportunity when the flavor is popular enough to expand it outside of like just a sauce. So, I mean, there's even like whatever, it's like 365 or something like that. It's like Whole Foods sort of like brand of stuff, right? And they even have like a gojujang chip. So like that flavor is familiar enough to people to where like this massive chain that's actually owned by Amazon can make chips with that flavor. Have you ever thought about that? How about like expanding the flavor onto like non-sauce items? Yeah, so that brings me to when you were asking me what was the game plan for sunfish sauce and whatnot. And, and so what I just shared with you, that was our stage one. Our stage one was to show the world, show, uh, you know, show the world that, hey, Vietnam has quality products, you know, that has history, heritage and culture like um, like ours. The second one was a lot of people ask me, well, um, why don't you diversify the product line? But we actually think differently. We actually think that now that we have a platform and we have a network, we want to help other Vietnamese brands mm. obtain, you know, um, a small part of what we were able to do. And so what we do now is that you, we're, instead of expanding our product line, we want to expand our community. And so, you know, we want to bring other, help bring other Vietnamese products to America to show, hey, you know, there's, uh, you know, we're very grateful that, you know, you guys are open to fish sauce now, but hey, there's also other products that's it's just as good, you know, um, and it can compete with, you know, other products around the world. Um, for, for instance, we're doing a pineapple snack that is called, it's from a queen pineapple. The reason why it's called queen pineapple is Queen Victoria loved it so much. 10 times sweeter than the dole pineapple, which is from a cayenne variety. And so, and, and this co-op co project is basically, I'm using Sunfish Sauce Network with supermarkets, restaurants, retailers, and I'm pushing out a different brand that somebody else is doing and it's a co-op project where the wholesale profits we make, we share with the farmers in Vietnam, give them some skin in the game, oh, right? Wow. And, and, and so our future for Sunfish Sauce is actually more towards bringing other brands to light using our platform because um, we're not a factory like other brands where we just mix stuff together and pump it out. You know, it takes us a year to produce it. We're already selling it for the last 70 years down in Southwest Vietnam. We're, like I said, we're in and entering five continents, uh, Europe, Middle East, Asia, Australia, North America. We're in a hundred plus cities outside of Vietnam. And, and so we feel like our energy can put, um, because obviously our output is only so much, right? This is a natural product, an artisanal product. It takes time to make. And so with that extra time that we have, we want to bring up other products from Vietnam and other brands and uh, give it a platform and a spotlight uh, using the network that we accumulated in the last five years. Free of charge, by the way. Wow. Because we feel Vietnamese culture, Vietnamese cuisine, if, you know, if Vietnamese culture win, we all win, you know, being in this uh, Vietnamese food industry. And that's how I, I that's how I uh, I look at it, and that's our um, 
I wouldn't say strategy or game plan, but, you know, that's how we had envisioned Sun Foods Fish Sauce to eventually become Sun Foods as uh, a consortium where we can help other brands, um, you know, um, give them a shot, right? We, we, want, we open the doors, but, you know, it's up to you to walk through it and pay your dues. So um, that's what we um, envision for Sunfish Sauce. Yeah. Well, Danny, this is a this is a fascinating story. I'm sure <laughs> some people at the outset were like, "You're going to do a whole 50 minutes about fish sauce," but <laughs> I mean, this is what I come up with over or or I come to realize over and over and over again is how uh, an item or a food can be the context to understanding history and society and politics and culture. And it's really fascinating. Uh, how could people maybe follow along with the, the journey for Sunfish Sauce in 2021? Is there social media and that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. We would love to get some more followers, you know, like um, we don't have a uh, social media team or anything. So if, you know, your listeners and you could follow, um, it's, um, the Instagram is Sunfish Sauce. So it's S-O-N-F-I-S-H-S-A-U-C-E. And then, you know, not only do we share about um, uh, new products that we're giving a platform to, but we're also, you know, we have this community where we call it Fish Sauce Gang. And, <laughs> and it's basically a community of food writers, chefs, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, people are doing podcasts in food like yourself. Uh, restaurateurs. And, and what we like to do is just provide a network. Like, hey, you know, if, if you tell me, um, if you tell me, hey, Danny, I'm going to visit Hong Kong, you know, I'm, I I would love to have you go eat at, uh, introduce you to uh, Chef John Nguyen. He was New York Chef of the Year 2017. He went to Hong Kong and he became Hong Kong Chef of the Year 2020. And he's doing crazy Vietnamese food. I mean, I, I mean, he's doing like, you know, Bunsale, right? Yes. The pancake type he's of doing cheese Bunsale. You know, who, who would think of something like that? It, it's so simple, but it's so, um, you know, like unique at the same time. And, um, and, and, and so that's the kind of network community we like to build. Uh, you know, if chefs or restaurants are looking for other chefs, you know, like I tell them, Hey, let me introduce you to some people, you know, it's, it's just, a. Uh, you know, the food and beverage industry is a very cutthroat industry. It's a very dirty industry. And so if we can bring anything that is remotely positive to it, uh, you know, we would love to. And um, and this also creates a platform for younger entrepreneurs that want to get into the game. And we remember when we started doing this, remember I told you, we didn't know anything about logistics, distribution, any of that stuff. And so we also hope to help other people that want to get into this food game. You know, um, at the very least, we can share with them all the mistakes we made. <laughs> so they don't make the same, uh, so, so they don't make the same mistakes. And um, that essentially is the third part of our plan is, you know, essentially have a, a, a food community platform where, where um, we believe that the pie is big enough for everybody to make money. Mm. You know, we don't need to be that competitive. And, um, and if it doesn't hurt me, you know, to help you, then why shouldn't um, I help you? And, and we feel that that's a way for us to change the food and beverage industry um, as a whole. I want to, uh, 
So, you know, like whoever's lowest price wins, right? But the only problem is that is that everybody else dies in the process. <laughs> well, I hope this was uh, my early initiation into the, uh, into the fish sauce gang here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so everyone knows they could go show notes for this episode, whatever app you're in, and, and you'll find a link to, to the website and to the social media. Uh, Danny, this is fascinating, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. I, I want the viewers to know that, you know, um, it, it was very, um, it was very different to receive a postcard from you. I was like, <laughs> who the hell is this guy sending me a postcard and sticker? And then I was like, oh, I got a fan, you know, like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, I'll, I'll slip this in here before we close out. P- people don't even really know this. Um, I, people I think are like-minded or people I might want to have on the podcast or, or when I'm traveling again someday, people I want to cross paths with, I mail out stuff all the time. I just send out handwritten letters and stickers and stuff like that. So I don't always hear back from people. So it was really great to hear back from you. No, it's definitely, um, you know, meaningful. At first, you know, I, I was a little hesitant. <laughs> I was like, you know, this is kind of weird. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of weird. So. <laughs> but, then, but then the crazy holiday was over. And then, you know, I had left it in the car because I picked it up at the warehouse. And I looked you up and I was like, wow, you know, he's, he's, you know, doing a lot of, uh, cool things, um, you know, from your Instagram feed around the world or just locally and stuff. And, and actually if COVID didn't happen, I, I wouldn't have done this podcast or interview because before I'd rather just stay low key, you know, and then since COVID, I just figured, you know, why don't do something, you know, we're all essentially sheltering in place or at home. Um, even if we can go out, it's not the same anymore. And so I figured, you know, I, I share my crazy story. And if, you know, somebody kind of feels like they're, they're having a fork in the road, why not just go for it? I mean, that's why I ended up in Vietnam. And I'm sure that's how you got the travel bug, right? Um, at least for me, I realized, Hey, you know, if I were to travel or live somewhere or do something new and I look at where I grew up, um, you know, I would say nine out of 10 times, I wouldn't be missing much. So why not just go for it? If it doesn't work out, you move back, you move back to your community. Not much, not much have changed. So (laughs) that's kind of how I looked at it. Well, I'm I'm glad you did respond and, and, uh, I'm happy that, uh, I got to share your story. That is a wrap on episode 201 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks so much to Danny for doing this. I've been wanting to talk about fish sauce for a while, and here we are. Thank you to all of you Voyagers, as always, for tuning in. We are heading for 300 episodes now. Thank you for joining in on my journey. As always, everybody, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.